Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Dynamic Leaders Podcast, part of the Talent 409 Network, where listeners can learn about leadership and other related qualities from former and current successful business people, coaches, and athletes. You'll notice that my voice sounds a little bit different this week. That's because this is actually Colin's wife, Christine, recording this podcast, because we're going to take the opportunity this week to have Colin being the one answering questions instead of asking them, so you all can get to learn a little bit more about him and about Talent 409 and get kind of a behind the scenes look at how this all started. A little more background on Talent 409. At Talent 409, we help athletes discover their talent altitude through workshops and seminars while increasing their opportunities for success on and off the field. In addition to athletes, we work with coaches and administrators to enhance their education on how they can positively impact the performance of their teams and programs. You can follow Talent 409 on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. It's all at Talent 409, and you can connect with Colin, the founder of Talent 409, on Twitter at the handle at ColinTalent409. This podcast is available on Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, and Apple Podcast. If you have time, please take a minute and give it a five-star rating and review. Help us grow and keep the podcast content strong. These ratings really do help others find the show and consume the content, and Colin appreciates you taking the time to do this, and he really appreciates anyone who is a loyal listener to the pod. Before we get into this interview, let's get amped up with a little Sierra Level Up. Five, four, three, two, one. Level Up. 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 Thanks again for tuning into the Dynamic Leaders Podcast. Again, I am Christine Cernelia, and I have here with me Colin Cernelia, who is your usual podcast host. We're doing a little bit of a mic swap today, where you'll get to hear Colin answering the questions instead of asking them. So thanks for this opportunity, Colin. Thanks for having me on. It's going to be fun, going to be different. I hope the listeners enjoy it. And to get my perspective on a couple different things that I know you want to ask me today, but should be a fun journey. Yeah, I know this is something that I brought up to you when you first started the podcast, because Mm -hmm. as an avid listener, I'm always interested in hearing your interviews with other people. And I like hearing what they have to say. But I know that you have a lot of really cool insights, too, that don't always get to come out. So I thought this would be a good way to kind of bridge that gap and allow people to learn more about you, too. Yeah, and I know I did the podcast by myself where I went through my experiences and told people about my leadership experiences and those type of things. But this will just be a cool little different project where you're on the driver's seat of the mic and I'm listening to the questions and I will answer them to the best of my ability. Sounds good. So first we'll start off with a little intro. Um, Tell us a little bit about the history of your sports career, any highlights, how successful you were, how you kind of got to where you are today? (laughs) It's a loaded question, I know. I ask it to everybody. I've actually kind of broken it down a little bit since then. But yeah, to start, uh, I'll just start with my sports career. I played baseball, basketball, and soccer. Played pickup football, pretty much anything wiffle ball that you could do growing up. I wanted to play, uh, always playing with either my brother Danny Timmy, when he got a little bit older, playing with my friends, playing pickup leagues, playing rec ball, playing school leagues. 
it's all I ever wanted to do was just play sports. So that was what I was constantly doing. And that was where my mind and my passion and my fulfillment came from. I played baseball all through high school and even through college at Penn State Scranton. Baseball was my first true love and what I stuck with the longest. I look back on my athletic journey, you know, now being almost 30 years old and seeing what I did in middle school and in high school when I stopped playing sports and why I stopped playing certain sports and continued to specialize a little bit more in baseball. And in some ways, I wish I continued to play some of those other sports, but in other ways, I know that baseball was really just my true love and I wanted to be doing that more than anything else at all. It wasn't like I was being pushed into it by anybody or anything. It was just where I wanted to spend the majority of my time. I would be in the garage by myself, hitting off the tee. I would be watching videos, hitters on hitting. I read The Science of Hitting by Ted Williams so much that I could probably read it back to you and tell you everything that there is to know about hitting and how Ted Williams knew about launch angle in 1960, even though launch angle just became a thing a couple years ago. Uh, but that's a different story, I guess. But yeah, baseball was my favorite thing to do. I got really fortunate to play on a couple awesome teams, not only school ball, but travel ball. I had an opportunity to go to a lot of different places, Louisiana, Virginia, Canada, play in all different parts of the country and outside of the country and play against all different types of competition. So even though by the time I got to high school, I was really specializing in one sport, I just was really getting a lot of unique opportunities to play against a lot of different levels of competition. We played in a wood bat tournament one year down in Louisiana against future college players that were transitioning that summer to play Division One baseball. And I was I think uh, going into my junior year of high school, so did that, played in Cooperstown pretty much every Sunday for about a year or two uh, with a travel team and got to play so many different teams that would come to Cooperstown from all parts of the country. It was awesome and I loved it and I got to play in college and I mean even after I was done playing, I mean sports is never left me. I love talking about it. I love learning about it. I love learning from it because I think there's a lot of practical aspects that you learn in sports that you can take into your own life. And it's just really been something that's consumed me up to this point. And I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Great. Well, as your wife, obviously, I get to see just how much you love sports and how much sports have shaped who you are as a person. Um, but can you tell us a little bit more about how sports affected who you are? Sure. Sports affected me in a lot of different ways, mostly positive, but I certainly learned a lot about life from sports, I guess, if you want to say that. For example, when I was in High school, I was being fast-tracked when I was a freshman to play on the varsity team. This is baseball again, and I got called up. I was one of four people to play JV baseball my freshman year and was on a fast-track to play shortstop for the varsity team my sophomore year. Had a kid who, Matt Westinger, a year younger than I was, 
come up the next year and bypass me in that progression, it was so hard to deal with at the time. It was one of the first times that I dealt with true adversity and it was something that I thought was totally in my hands that I can control. Now looking back on it, I realized just how silly I was to really think that or to have that mindset, but I really thought, you know, I was the better player and it was probably because I was older and even though I was only a year older, I was like, there's no way this freshman's gonna, you know, leapfrog me. I've been waiting to do this. I got called up, like this is this is supposed to be my time and I had aspirations to play in college still and I had had two really amazing summers before that where I was kind of ahead of the pace as far as the talent goes. I had just blossomed a little bit sooner and people were still catching up to me. So I was really dominating, especially hitting. And it all just came crashing down so quickly. And I just remember being so miserable in my own head. I mean, I still loved to play and I loved that I had the opportunity, but I couldn't get it out of my head to get out of my own way and and stop sabotaging myself. And I learned so much about adversity in that way because I really did make it so much harder on myself than it needed to be. And I made the whole experience a lot different than it needed to be. Had I been able to realize that in the time, I think I would have enjoyed it a little bit more. But I mean, there were even times, I think I was with my dad at a hardware store or something after one of practices or a game or something like that and he could just tell I was miserable and he's like if you hate it that much then just quit and I was like no way I'm I'm not gonna do that but I realized at that point that I did have to change my mentality and my mindset towards everything and so I think that was my first introduction into being an adaptable person you fast forward another year when I'm a junior and I'm I had after tryouts, I had either an opportunity to stay on JV and get a lot of playing time as a junior, or so I go from being fast-tracked to potentially staying on JV for three years, or I had an opportunity to come onto the varsity team and know that I was going to have really limited playing time, that I would get into pinch run every once in a while, but I would really have to earn my time. And I chose the latter. I wanted to be with my friends. I wanted to be on the varsity team. I wanted to compete for a championship. And we ended up winning the Section 3 championship that season. We beat Utica Proctor at the Chiefs Stadium back in Syracuse. We were an out away twice from reaching the Final Four in regionals. And it was an amazing year. I barely played. I maybe played a full game over the course of the year, if that, as far as innings go and at bats and everything. But I definitely made the most of my opportunities whenever Matt, who I mentioned earlier, was pitching. I would play shortstop. My first varsity start, I hit a home run, a three-run home run, my first at bat against a kid from Fowler, who I believe was the All-State Pitcher of the Year in New York State that year. Just time after time, I came up, even though I knew I wasn't going to get a lot of playing time, when I came into pinch run, I knew I had one objective, I needed to score, I needed to advance, whatever it was, when I was in the field, I was in there for defense, and when I got a chance to bat, which was very far few in between, 
I needed to put the ball in play and I needed to do what was asked for me. And it was such a mind shift change from my sophomore year to my junior year. And I was still kind of upset about everything. But when I had my exit interview with my coach that year, he told me that up to that point, he had never had a player who did his job and played his role as well as I did throughout an entire season. And that really stuck with me and made me realize that just because I wasn't the star of the team and I wasn't the best player on the team, that I was a really important piece of a championship team. And I did my job and I didn't complain and I was a good teammate and I showed up and just gave it my best all the time. And that really stood out to me just to have that recognition. It wasn't like I was expecting it, but to have him say that and to get that recognition obviously felt really nice. So that's just one example, but I think sports really taught me how to deal with adversity, how to be competitive, but keep it within limits. I mean, everybody's got to you know keep it within things that are respectable for what you're doing, whether it's work or whether it's in your community or with your family. Like you don't want to go overboard with things and go throwing your helmet or go crying to the umpire or whatever it is. Like those are things that I learned on the field and I can be a respectable, honest person off the field now. And I learned how to just really be an adaptable person too. And I think those are three really big things that I was able to carry over that I didn't even know at the time and just have really helped me evolve as a person in life after sports. Awesome. I always love hearing that story of your exit interview with your coach because that says a lot about your character and you were pretty young when that happened and you've still carried a lot of those traits over into who you are as a person now, uh, which I think really shows in a lot of ways and, and is pretty cool. Now let's take a quick minute to talk about one of our sponsors, Sweat with Stods, which is actually my business. So it's super fun that I get to get on here and tell you all about it. Are you looking to get in better shape without the large investments of time and money that come with a gym membership? Then the Sweat with Stods Hit at Home program is a great answer for you. Hit at Home is a downloadable PDF that guides you through one month of five workouts per week that don't require any equipment. And if you loved Hit at Home, there's also a version two with totally new workouts. You can get $10 off each of these programs with code DYNAMIC for being a podcast listener, which brings the cost down to $20 per program. What can you do with $20 in 30 days? That said, it's clear that you've learned a lot of different things from sports. Thinking back now, if you had one piece of advice that you could go back and give to yourself, maybe your high school baseball playing self, what would, you, what would it be? What would you tell yourself? Enjoy it more. That's not to say that I didn't enjoy playing sports. Obviously, it was a huge part of my identity. But there were just so many times, as I mentioned, where I was beating myself up inside in my own head. And I wasn't just, I wasn't fully there in the moment, whether I was sitting on the bench or I was struggling in the field. I look back on it now and I'm like, man, I I was playing in an open field with my best friends on hot summer days, not a care in the world outside of what was going on. Very few cares, maybe, in the world. Just very little responsibility compared to what you have as an adult. They were just the best times of my life. And I wish I didn't take 
every at bat so seriously and grind myself and drive myself crazy over this, over that, and just really enjoyed it a little bit more in the moment. I was always able to kind of shut it off pretty easily afterwards. I mean, things wouldn't really linger for days on end, but at the time, in the moment, it was really hard. And I think as a person now, I'm much more able to enjoy moments and to loosen up and to be adaptable to whatever situation is going on. And so I would say that is probably the best piece of advice I could give to someone who's younger is just enjoy the moment. Don't know how many more at-bats you have or how many more times you're going to run out of the tunnel for the football field or whatever sport it is you're playing, your time is, it's not forever. So it's a limited opportunity. Enjoy it. Spend time with friends. Build those relationships that, for me, have lasted long beyond my playing days and just really enjoy the moment. That is a really good piece of insight that I'm sure a lot of young athletes could benefit from hearing. Now that you work with young athletes as well, have you noticed, are there any trends or commonalities that you see among young athletes that you think you are able to help them through? Yeah, that's a good question. There's definitely a lot that has changed since I was playing sports, and that wasn't that long ago. It was only maybe 10 years now, a little less than 10 years, but there is a lot that kids these days have to deal with pressures that didn't exist when I was playing. For example, social media. And it's one of those things that is just really invasive on the mind and I think really affects younger kids, even though you can obviously see it from an adult perspective where there's adults yelling at each other on Facebook or on Twitter. There's adults who are trying to ruin the lives of an 18-year-old who doesn't commit to their football school or whatever it is. But when you're 14 years old and there's other 14-year-olds that are putting on this great life that they have because this is what you see on Instagram and you only see the the best of the best because that's what they want to show you and everything it puts a lot of extra pressure on you to be that type of person because you want to fit in. And I think that carries over into athletics now. Like we see that people are always posting their workouts and they're always posting team pictures or somebody, mom or dad or a guardian or a brother or sisters taking video of them while they're on the lacrosse field or whatever it is and just saying all these great things. And it's like, wow, I'm, I'm so cool and, and everything. And I think where sometimes kids lose focus is they are so worried about social media and what they're going to post about after the game and what they're going to say to their friends on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook that the preparation for the actual event itself or for the responsibilities that you have as an athlete go away. They become secondary almost to what the primary focus becomes. And I, I can remember when I was in high school and it's like, yeah, you want to impress like the people who your friends and girls that are watching the games and everything like that. But we just didn't have that extra layer where it was that switch for kids these days is always on. Like it never shuts off. That is always something that's in the back of their mind. What is happening on social media? How can I portray myself in a better light? And it's really weird for me to consider that it's carried over into athletics and that it's made its way towards athletes and everything, but 
a lot of them I I can just tell they've either when we start something they've just gotten off their phone and they just got off Instagram looking at something or as soon as we're done they're like hey Colin can we take a picture with you we want to put it on Instagram and say like how cool this was and that's obviously a really good feeling for me but it takes away again from what the primary purpose of when I work with somebody what is that purpose or why are you on the field or why are you in the weight room you're not there to take pictures and to show everybody you're there to put the work in and to do the work so there's a lot to deal with as far as the kids go these days where social media has taken on this whole new meeting for what even athletics looks like and I think that's one of the maybe the biggest challenges and one of the biggest commonalities that I see amongst different high school programs and teams and just the kids themselves these days. Yeah, I think it's tough because at that age, you're already kind of playing a comparison game more so than you do as an adult when you start to become a little more secure in who you are. So you're already kind of comparing yourself to your peers and everyone around you. And then you see on social media, everyone's highlight reel and you're trying to outdo someone else's highlight reel all the time. I can totally see how that would affect someone's mindset when it comes to sports and be kind of a big distraction as far as that goes. But it's cool that you're able to recognize it and able to help young athletes as they go through um, different adversities and growing pains like that. Yeah, and we we were at a an event on Thursday in Charlotte and we're telling the kids about recruiting and making those highlight reels that you mentioned and everything. And Andrea, one of my partners, was there talking about putting it together and how there's these different firms out there that'll, you know, you pay $2,000 and they're going to put together the best footage that you can and it's going to look great and they're going to have good sound with it and everything. And at the end of the day, it's like coaches, the people who are looking at that stuff, they don't care what the footage looks like. They're looking for specific things. So as long as it's on camera and you can see it clear enough, it doesn't matter if it's the best or if it's the worst, but that's that's what social media has done because people want to take those videos and put them onto their Instagram accounts and say like, hey, I my parents spent all this money on this and look at how good my recruiting video came out. It's way better than what yours is going to be and you know everything like that. And it's really... It's hard for me to imagine because I didn't have it and I, it wasn't as prevalent when, when I was growing up. But, I mean, I can definitely understand why, as a kid these days, you would want that to be a part of your brand, your personal social brand. But it's just so secondary to what actually matters. And it's that's the hardest thing is to kind of break through that. Of course. So it's clear that you have a passion for helping young athletes can you talk a little bit more about why you started Talent 409? Yeah, absolutely. So Talent 409, the genesis of it was actually a result of my corporate career, uh, which is still ongoing in HR, recruiting, headhunting. It was a great introduction into everything that involves different teams on a corporate level organizational development, leadership development, team building, culture building, everything that goes into what makes a successful business organization was really at the forefront of the work that I've done over the past five or six years. 
And while I love doing that type of work and I've been fairly successful at it, there was something really eating at me and saying that I wanted to get back to sports. I wanted to start working in sports, working with athletes, not just athletes, coaches, administrators, even business people still. I said to myself one day, why can't I just translate everything that I learned in HR and in recruiting and bring that over into athletics because teams in athletics are looking for great cultures and how to develop their own leaders and captains, whatever you want to call them. So there was a lot of common threads that I thought translated really well from my corporate experiences and putting that together with my athletic experiences and saying, okay, I'm going to start working in the sports industry or in the athletic industry. I'm really glad I did it. It's been a long time coming, to be completely honest. I can remember being in high school and being discouraged by my guidance counselor, who I don't remember his or her name, but I do remember that they told me I would probably end up burning out, something along those lines, if I went into sports. Like I had I had visions of being on Sports Center, being some type of journalist. Like I wrote for the student school newspaper and I was the editor of the sports section. I won the gold prize at Newhouse uh, up at SU for their high school press high school press day. And so I knew it was something that interested me and I wanted to be in sports and they were like, eh, well, you probably get burnt out. It's a really hard industry to be in and all these excuses. And I took it to heart, you know, being 17 years old, 18 years old, whenever you're having those meetings. And I had no idea what I wanted to do in college and I went in undeclared or actually I think I went in as a criminal justice major, started doing some of those classes, didn't really love them. I guess, and thought about maybe law school after and ended up being a political science major. And that's what my degree ultimately came from, came in. I even got out of school and I just had no idea I was working in a restaurant, uh, bartending, serving. I had managed at one point and I got out of it because it was a little too stressful for my taste. And, and I just didn't love the, the long hours uh, the late night hours and everything that went into it, but I had no idea what I wanted to do. And I kind of fell into the recruiting in HR and it was a really good thing to fall into because I still got to talk to people on a daily basis and I still got to meet new people and really learning the HR specific side of things with the organizational development, as I mentioned, like all of those things were super important to my growth as a person personally and professionally. Like I had really good opportunity to contract work at Terakeet and just got such a great experience and education at a startup in Syracuse that was growing and that was trying new things and trying to be innovative and trying to be the best at what it could be. And that really opened my eyes, that experience specifically to just how great we can make different organizations and teams and clubs and everything. So Putting together Talent 409 was really you know, something that was almost 10 years in the making, but working primarily and specifically with athletes and coaches and administrators on the athletic side is just a passion of mine because sports and a lot of the books I read and a lot of the material that I teach have sports things in them and different 
sports analogies and different sports quotes. And so I don't try to overwhelm organizations or businesses if they want me to come in and they're like, well, why are you talking about, you know, this coach or this athlete and everything like that. But it's, uh, it's one of those things that it's just a natural fit for me, I feel like, and it's been so much fun. And I want to try and help everybody. I know I can't help everybody, but the more people I can, the better I feel about everything. Now let's take a minute to talk about another sponsor, Taylor Digital. Taylor Digital is a virtual design company that helps solopreneurs get established online with a cohesive image so they can feel more confident in their business. Taylor Digital offers branding, social media design, and Squarespace website design. Go to taylordigital.com to set up your free consultation. You won't regret it. Both Colin and I have used Taylor Digital for our businesses, and it helps make everything so much more professional. To check it out for yourself, go to taylordigital.com. Taylor is spelled T-A-Y-L-A-R digital.com. Of all the directions that you could have kind of taken Talent 409, because there's obviously a lot of different ways that you can work with an athlete, Mm -hmm. you chose leadership. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to me about why you chose leadership as the direction to go and then what makes a dynamic leader to you? Yeah, so I'll answer the dynamic leader part first because that's the easier answer. A dynamic leader is somebody who leads on and off the field. So that's somebody that is you know, at work but is also a really great leader for their family or in their community. That's somebody who is currently an athlete and is leading on the field for their sport of play but also is a really good student off the field and is preparing themselves for life after sports. Sports, as I mentioned earlier, only lasts so long. The ability to play and compete. You can obviously stay in sports and coach or be an administrator or get into broadcasting or whatever it is, but to actually compete on a day-to-day basis, that time is limited. And if we're not preparing ourselves for life after sports, then we're really doing ourselves a disservice in our own lives because once that ends and inevitably it will and probably at a time when you least expect it whether you get cut whether you have an injury or whether you just simply can't get on the field because you're not good enough it's going to end at some point so that transitions really well into your first question why leadership why is that at the core of what we teach and I think the non-physical development of people is becoming something that is more widely accepted, more widely appreciated, and it's something that I see in athletics. It's something I see in the corporate world where people want to know more about who that person is versus can you do the job? Because can you do the job only gets you so far if you don't fit in amongst the larger purpose of the organization or the team, whatever that may look like for you. If you come to this great team, you might be the best player in your city or in your state, and you've got you know 30-something homers every year and whatever it is, but if you can't fit in with all the other teammates, they'll ship you out. That could be a mental thing, like with Sonny Gray in the Yankees where he just 
cannot get out of his own way. He's a super nice person from all accounts, and he gets along with his teammates, but he can't get out of his own way on the mound and in competition. And so at this point of recording, there's being a deal finalized between the Yankees and the Reds to ship him out of town, even though he came in really well and highly regarded and was supposed to be somebody to get the Yankees over the over the hump. Or it could be somebody who's just a disastrous personality and really destroys the culture of a clubhouse. And a lot of people have said this before, but it only takes one person to crush a culture. It takes a lot of people to build a really great culture, but it only takes one person to destroy it. So by really developing yourself as a leader, it doesn't necessarily mean that you need to be the captain of your team. That's I think the bigger point is to realize that everybody on a team can be a leader in one way or another. And it goes back to what I talked about earlier in my personal experience when I was not a captain of my varsity team my junior year. But I think in a lot of ways, even if it wasn't labeled that, I was a leader for that team because, again, I showed up for my responsibilities on the field, but I was also a really great teammate to everybody. And I was always supporting and always cheering on and always helping you know, water carry and pick up for people and do these things that didn't get a lot of recognition. And I want to think that because of my small contributions to a bigger picture image and to a bigger picture goal I was able to help our team win that section three championship and that's the point of what leadership can be it doesn't mean that you need to be the CEO of your company or the captain of your team but you can lead and not everybody wants to be that traditional leader you know that rah-rah look at me follow me and everything some people do want to be followers but to realize that what you bring to a team or to an organization is unique and is different is really important and I think that's what finding how you can best help is really at the core of what we try to do with that leadership development. I think it's really interesting that leadership is the approach that you took because I think it is a big strength of yours and it's something that you're really able to help people with so it really is a natural fit for what you do. Uh, I also wanted to touch on something that you said as far as people these days don't want to hire someone or bring someone onto their team just because they know that they can do the job. I actually was reading a book about um, a company that tested people for their personality uh, to see their levels of optimism and their ability to handle adversity and also tested them for their aptitude for the job. And after doing so many tests, they realized that the people who had the better attitude made better hires than the people who showed great aptitude for doing the job. So just because you have the skills that are necessary, you may not always have the mental side that's necessary. And they found that they did better when they hired people who specifically had the right mental attitude in order to be successful. So by you being able to tap into that side of things, I think you'll be able to help put a lot of the right people into the right places, which is cool. Yeah, attitude is obviously super important. It's one of the podcast topics that I specifically have talked about. uh, And if I haven't done one uh, one specific episode on just attitude alone, I do plan on doing it in the future. But attitude is so much more than 
just throwing a fit or a temper tantrum. It's, you know, how you help out your teammates and pick them up and be a water carrier like Phil Jackson likes to talk about. But, yeah, attitude is super important to success. Great. So now that we've kind of talked about leadership and defined it and talked a little bit about what interested you in it in the first place, can you point to anyone that you look up to or that you've identified as a dynamic leader? (laughs) Yes. There's definitely a bunch of dynamic leaders in my own life, so I won't spend all day pointing and shouting out these people. But I think the three that I want to focus on, uh, the first two are my parents, who really taught me a lot about hard work and being a good person and representing. My dad would always say, even not even in the realms of playing on the athletic field, but when I would go to a high school football game or something like that and just representing myself meant that I was representing my high school. So don't do anything stupid, basically was what he was saying to me. So there was so many life lessons that I learned from my parents and they're super dynamic in their abilities. I mean, they both grew up playing sports as well uh, in, in everything and they've both been parents and have helped me and my brothers and They've dealt with personal challenges and adversity and different things throughout their life. So they've just really shown me how to be patient, how to communicate, how to learn from your mistakes and just really enjoy this life that we have together. So I want to shout them out. And then another person, this is just one that comes to mind because I'm doing a little bit of research for a project, but uh, David Cohn was a pitcher for the Yankees during the dynasty years in the late 90s and early 2000s. He was super competitive on the field, like one of those people that you could just see the fire in his eyes. And he was a great performer, pitched well under a lot of high-pressured situations, won Game 3 of the 96 World Series, pitched well in the 98 World Series, 99, pitched perfect game, just an awesome competitor. But what really stood out when I was doing this research was to hear about some of the adversity that some of his teammates were going through during his time on the Yankees and how he took it upon himself to be that person who could lend a helping hand or to lend advice or just listen and try to help that person get through because he realized that his teammates were ultimately just as important to the success of the Yankees as he was. So for example, the two that I can point out off the top of my head uh, David Wells back in 1997 I believe was just really struggling with his adaptation to New York and not getting along well with Joe Torre who was the manager of the Yankees and Joe had pulled him early from a game there was issues about his weight you know being overweight and not caring and he drank all the time and he wore the Babe Ruth hat on the field the one day that he paid $35,000 for in an auction and Torrey stood at the top of the dugout when he came back in and ordered him to take it off and their their relationship was just not good and there came a day after a start where Boomer was going to just rip Torrey apart to the media. Cone could see that there was the animosity building and that things were getting bad and he said to to Wells he said, "Hey, let's let's go out for a beer." You know, knowing that Boomer liked to drink, 
he wasn't going to go as hard as Boomer liked to go, but he's like, let me get him into a place where he's comfortable and let's talk. And they end up having this very long talk, you know, two, three, four hours where Boomer just lets it all out. And he diffused the situation right there, not in front of the media, in a private, as private of a public space as could be away from the team. And from then on, him, David Wells and David Cohn became really good friends. And David Cohn really helped Boomer through the next year and a half just really enjoy his time in New York as much as possible and be a really big contributing factor to the Yankees' success, especially in 1998 when he pitched perfect game. He won game one of the 98 World Series. He was just a huge big game pitcher for them that year. The other one was with Chuck Knobloch, who was my personal favorite player growing up. And Knobloch made one of the most bonehead plays you will ever see during game two of the American League Championship Series where he let a ball roll away after a bunt was thrown by, and Tino Martinez picked up the ball, threw it to Knobloch, it hit the runner, and Knobloch let the ball roll while Enrique Wilson was rounding the bases, ended up scoring. This is in the 12th inning of a you know playoff game. The Yankees end up losing this game. They end up losing momentum in the series. It's the first time they're behind all season long, a team that ends up winning 125 games. But at the time, it was a pivotal moment. And after the game, Knobloch was standing around his locker, talking to the media, refusing to acknowledge that he made a mistake. So Cone saw this, overheard it. Their lockers were adjacent to each other. And on the plane to Cleveland the next day, he went to the back of the plane. Him and Knobloch sipped a beer. They talked about things. Cone told him about how when he was pitching with the Mets in 1990, he basically did the same thing. And instead of one runner scoring, two runners scored. And he was just there arguing, and it was boneheaded play, and he got a lot of flack for it being in New York. But he said, the best thing I did to defuse the situation was just admit that I was wrong. And Knobloch listened, and they had that talk over those beers on the back of the plane. The next day, they get into Cleveland. Knobloch goes into the media room. He had admits that he made a mistake, it diffuses the situation, the Yankees win the series, the Yankees win the World Series. They're just small leadership things, but David Cohn was like one of those people who really embodies what a dynamic leader is, somebody that can help on the field, can help off the field, and not only for himself, but for his teammates. And I just thought that was a really powerful example of what a dynamic leader is. Those are some pretty powerful examples. I can't really speak much to Cone because I don't love baseball the same way that you do, but I can vouch for your parents because now that I've been in your life for five years and had plenty of interactions with them, I feel like I've also learned life lessons from them. Um, They're both very strong, amazing people. So it's cool to hear you shout them out. That said, that pretty much covers the questions that I have for you. Are there any items you wanted to discuss, any upcoming projects, events, anything you have going on that you want to talk about? Yeah, there's a lot going on uh, in, in my world, uh, specifically with Talent 409. We're doing some good work with a lot of high schools in the Charlotte area, have some people signed up to do some different things, a couple colleges that we're in touch with as well. So definitely excited about some of those opportunities going to Uh, the National Athletic High School uh, Athletic Directors Association Conference in March. Uh, So I'm really excited to make some relationships there and 
meet some people there. So yeah, there's a lot going on. Have some special small projects on the side uh, that are coming together and you know, putting them together and everything, but nothing that you know we really need to discuss at this point uh, with everything. But yeah, th it's it's been a wild ride getting to this point and you know being a little bit over a year old now with the business, but. As I mentioned earlier, super happy with how we got here and what we're doing. And uh, if you're you at the high school, even the middle school level, collegiate level, and you want to get in touch or learn more, uh, feel free to get in touch with me. Email me. I'll put all the contact information in the show notes like I usually do with the guests that I bring on with that. But I'm definitely open to just having conversations and building relationships. That's really where th all things start anyways, so it's not like I'm going to try to sell you on something right away, but anybody that's listening to this that wants to talk, whether you're in uh, sports or even if you're in the business world and you think the things that, that we do can really translate to your organization, then please reach out. Love to have a conversation, and I appreciate you taking time to let my story get out a little bit more here on the pod. Yeah, well, thank you for letting me sit here and ask you questions and thank you for putting yourself out there uh, and going into kind of the hot seat where you were the one answering the questions instead of asking them. <laughs> uh, I hope your listeners enjoy this as much as I did. Thank you. It's been fun. Thanks again to Colin for letting me get behind the mic and letting us all see a little bit more into his world. This was a really great conversation that I really enjoyed. I hope you all did as well. Thanks again to our sponsors as well, Taylor Digital and Sweat with Stods for helping keep this podcast running. We'll be back again next week with another guest, so stay tuned for that. And thanks again for taking the time to listen, and until next time, take it easy. So